poet and literary revolutionary Dr. Haki Matabuti was not only one of the foremost voices of the black arts movement, he founded Third World Press in Chicago, a renowned literary press for black voices and artists since the 1960s. The 78-year-old author and educator's newest work, Taught by Women, Poems as Resistant Language. Resistant Language is a homage to the influence that women, specifically black women, have had on his life. We had a far-ranging conversation about the creation of Third World Press and how Dr. Matabuti is his life work has been an artistic space that nurtures and offers an outlet to the voices of the black experience in America. Well, if you really go back to the beginning of the movement, it actually started in 1965 with the assassination of El Hajj Miliq al-Shabazz, Malcolm X. Uh, most of us were very young, and we were practicing our art, whatever it may have been, whether we were writers or poets or musicians, or visual artists, or dancers or actors, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever the field that the black writer or the black artists participated in, the metrics changed after the assassination of Malcolm X. And primarily because Malcolm X was really the father of all of us all. I mean, he spoke truth to not only power, but spoke truth to his own people. And as a result of that assassination, we all went inward and looked at ourselves. And most of us, most certainly myself, I have been reading and studying Black history uh, for over, you know, 10 years before he was assassinated. And I was at the, uh, I was volunteering at the uh, DuSable Museum of African American History at that time. And um, so we began to organize at another level. We began to organize internally, beginning to look at uh, what was missing in our communities and why say education or jobs or uh, healthcare, any of the activities that the so-called commons provided and that we did not have. And as we continued to grow up during that period, it was very clear to us that white nationalism and white supremacy and that the, the rule of white law, as you would have it, stopped uh, black people from moving at all. And not only, not only not having the vote, but not being able to essentially define ourselves. And this was critical, the self-definition. And that's where most of us began to move toward that who are we, why are we here? How did we get here? What have we been doing since we've been here? And as we continue to read our great historians from Chancellor Williams to uh, Sheikh Antadia to all the historians that came about, uh, Carter G. Woodson and, and others became very clear that we were functioning with somebody else's knowledge base. That, and, and, and that was very enlightening because Malcolm brought to us a knowledge base and question this white supremacy at the highest level. And that as we transition from Negro to Black or to people of African ancestry, then our art transformed also. And so for me and for, for other writers, poets of that movement, we began to now only redefine ourselves, but to begin to build institutions. And most certainly here in Chicago, we built Third World Press which I started in 1967 with $400 in the mimograph machine. 
And now it's the oldest independent black book publishing company in the world that has its own headquarters. But we not only started the Third World Press, we also started the Institute of Positive Education with its schools, uh, a new concept school, which is a preschool, and uh, the Bittership Bonds Academy, which is K-8, Barbara Ann Sizemore Academy, K-3. So we, we educate uh, close to 600 children a day in an African-centered education. When we see African-centered education, we're essentially teaching these children to love themselves first and foremost. And then we build upon that self-love and self-actualization uh, around knowledge, knowledge of oneself, but also knowledge of the environment of the, of the, of the, of the community, and family and the city and the nation that we are part of. And so the black arts movement was national. And after the assassination of Malcolm, it just hit, hit nationally. So all you had, so all these, you had all over the country, brothers and sisters, uh, starting to question the white reality, starting to question even the black reality. Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, they, they both were heroes of ours. Uh, Rosa Parks, uh, Ella Baker, uh, are heroes of ours, sheroes of ours. And what we began to realize, and mostly what I began to realize, was that you know black women are the most disrespected women in the world, and that that disrespect is built upon not only just supreme ignorance but also supreme uh, uh, understanding of white supremacy. And so for black men, white men saw black men as the great greatest threat to white male rule. But not only because of, of our station in life as they positioned us, over my 50 some odd years as a poet and as a writer, I've always placed women at the center, black women at the center of my life. And I often say, yes, the Jim Crow era was very damaging, and but it's like, we, you just can't say Jim Crow. You got to say Jane Crow. It's just like Trump received in this last election fifty-two percent of the white female vote. Okay, that's Jane Crow right there. We know Jim Crow in terms of white men was coming at it, but the Jane Crow get off the hook most of the time. You see, mm -hmm. and so this history came about as a result of the artists saying no. We're not taking this anymore. And then we're going to try to begin to create for ourselves, define for ourselves, defend ourselves, build for ourselves. And I've been very fortunate as a poet, uh, as a builder, institution builder, believing in independent Black institutions. And as a professor, uh, I've taught in the academy for over 42 years. I'm retired now. But I've had the privilege to travel around much of the world, most certainly four continents, Africa many times, and had the pleasure of reading poetry or leading workshops or lecturing in, in over uh, uh, all the states in the in the United States except North Dakota, South Dakota, Alaska, and um, Hawaii. So as a, as, a, as a man who has lived this life and worked in this life and built institutions and you know been Africa about 15 times, had had dinner or lunch with uh, four African presidents, and had books that have sold well through our network, not relying on white people at all. I mean, my third book, which was Don't Cry Scream, the great poet, the great poet and first black to win the Pulitzer Prize, Willen and Brooks wrote the introduction to. It sold 75,000 copies, but it didn't hit the New York Times bestseller list, okay? Uh, one of my books, which came out after I changed my name, used to be Don L. Lee, but one of my books that came out after I changed my name was black men obsolete single dangerous. And it, it sells over a million copies in print. 
it'll be 30 years old next year. It's been used in prisons and in high schools and colleges and universities across the country, but it's never hit the bestseller list. All I'm saying, and I'm saying this uh, without any rancor or without any disappointment, because I don't believe, see, this is, Amanda, this is really what I need to say. When you're an artist, artists are the freest people in the world, okay? That it doesn't matter what discipline you're in. If you're an artist true to your craft, you're free if you're producing. And my position has always been that artists make decisions. Artists make decisions. And other people, for the most part, make choices within the parameters of other people's decisions. And so we as artists, I as a poet, I as a writer, I was able to see early on the type of treacherous games being played on black people and therefore have built a life around building these independent black institutions while at the same time trying to stay alive working in the predominantly white institutions such as you know many universities but the art has always I'm, nothing that we created here in chicago I'm talking about myself now would have come about if i had not been an artist if i had not been a poet one of the things that I was thinking as as you were you were explaining the history of the 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 press of third world press and how you started it and the black arts movement um being so influenced by uh, someone like Malcolm X who suffered and was threatened with violence constantly and as well as people like Fred Hampton and the founders of the Black Panther movement those v- threats of violence that they had to live with and eventually work some of them killed by, uh, did that, was that something that ever, ever, ever came into your life as, as you were founding and publishing? Oh, absolutely. And even before that, uh, you must understand that we as uh, Black artists, we were intimately involved in struggle. I mean, I knew, I mean, Fred Hampton and I were comrades in the struggle. He was at the Black Panther Party working on the West Side of Chicago. I'm in the Black Nationalist, Black Cultural Movement working on the South Side of Chicago. In fact, in last December was the 50th anniversary of his assassination and murder. And my fourth book, there was a poem about that in my fourth book, which was We Walked Away of the New World. And last year, uh, Chicago Magazine, which is a major monthly in Chicago, asked me would I write a piece on uh, Fred Hampton and that pivotal time in our history. I did. And it's and that piece, which is, you know, two pages, is in the new book, uh, Taught by Women. I'm just going to read the first stanza, okay? I would love you to. And, and as you read it, could you t- name the title of the poem before you read it? Sure. The title of the poem is, He Never Saw the Bullets Coming. He Never Saw the Bullets Coming. One, and this is the first stanza, Born in a Time of War. There is little memory of Denmark Vesey and those who betrayed him. Nat Turner, Revolt centuries before the Turner Diaries. Harriet Tubman and the fear of her name evoked Sojourner Truth and people running from her words. Frederick Douglass refusing to accept whiplash. Marcus Garvey daring to organize millions of black people without the permission of whites. W.B. Du Bois committed to thinking outside the box circle and lives of white conquerors. Ida B. Wells challenging the real fake news. Elijah Muhammad's confirmation are black as integral to self-definition and giving Malcolm X a voice. Fred Hampton daring to tell the people the truth about their lives decade before black lives mattered in a time as is today where white lives matter more as anti-democracy movements entrenched themselves. 
from 10. There, there are two or three other sections. But my point always is that if you know the history, then you have some understanding of what our people have gone through over the 400 years or so that we've been on, 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 on in this land and why we're so attached to it and why we will not allow people to tell us where we need to go when we've been here be, be long before their ancestors, that's for sure. The reason that I, I wrote Taught by Women and the first piece in the book really is why women. And I'm just gonna, it's just a short piece. I'm gonna read that very quick. Why women? Taught by women is my acknowledgement and thank you to over half of the world's population who remains too often property, raped, honor killed, diminished, enslaved, lynched, dismissed, excluded, lied to, abused, sexualized, sex trafficked, devalued, demeaned, executed, imprisoned, forgotten, forced into unwanted marriages, miseducated, undereducated, beheaded, and bodily disfigured, all motivating me to be pro-girl and woman, which required serious listening and specialized learning, advanced thought, care, action, and language that highlighted black music, poetry, and visual art, which I received from my mother, a woman who worked and died in the sex trade of the 1950s, just as capitalism, white supremacy, black ignorance, enslavement, and anti-religious thought killed her I, her only son, am able today and tomorrow to act and state with finality, stop. And again, thank you to black women and the world of women for saving my life. Dr. Haki Matabuti, a renowned poet, author, educator, and founder of the revolutionary black publishing house Third World Press. His latest work, Taught by Women, Poems as Resistant Language, is out now. And we'll have a link for you up later today at WDET.org. You are listening to Culture Shift. Playing a little bit of Dorothy Ashby here, one of the great jazz harpists. Cast Tech grad, Wayne State University grad as well. Still coming up on the show in just a few minutes, we'll get into Sam's Jams, where he dives deep into his vinyl collection for a great mix of world music. That's coming up in about five minutes. But just after this, we're going to do the roundup. This is 1019 WDET. We are Detroit's NPR station.